Hello, and welcome back to the Long Distance Love Balms podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg, and today's conversation is with David Gandelman. David is a spiritual teacher, he's an author, he's a guide. His mission is to awaken souls on their path of growing into being human and living an enlightened and purpose-driven life. This guy is great. I adore this dude. It's his second time on the podcast. The first time we talked about how to take life less seriously. And in this conversation, we talk about his work as a meditation teacher. We talk about how he got started in this sort of industry. That includes a really fun story about meeting a wacky lady on the shores of the Ganges River in India. We end up diving a little bit deeply into the mechanics of intuition and the engineering of psychicness, which is a fun and playful conversation that has also huge implications in terms of how the world works and how you choose to live your life. Overall, David dives deep into some practices and some processes that he uses and teaches to help people to understand their own energetics, their own um, system that is happening inside of them always, and how we can cultivate and practice a deeper sense of intuition and truth and separating that from our own emotional impulses and reactivity. So this is a really hearty conversation with David Gandelman. I hope that you will enjoy it. And also, we talk about the new thing that he is launching, which is a meditation school where he is teaching people how to be meditation teachers. I've included links in the show notes for that. He is great. I trust this guy. And um, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is David Gandelman. All right, my dude. Welcome back to the podcast. I was saying a minute ago, it's been three years almost since you were here, but David Gandelman, welcome back yeah. to the pod. How you been? What's Good. happening? I'm great, Jeremy Goldberg. <laughs> it's crazy because we recorded uh, in February 2020, which was right before the pandemic occurred. So uh, how's it been? How's life? That was you a know, thing. It was a thing, and the pandemic gave me a great chance to get work done. I wrote a book, uh, built an app. I moved to Colorado. Um, uh, yeah, a lot of creative projects. So, uh, on a whole, it's it's been pretty good for me. And uh, I've, you know, it's I know it's been devastating to the planet. And um, but I I kind of found a way to ride that wave, and, and I think that was healthy for me and productive. So. Um, I'm glad to be out on the other side of it and be out out again. But yeah, it was it was productive. That's how I would put it. <laughs> Just go into like a creative cave mode. I did. And hunker down. I did. Yeah. How about you? Um, I find it I found it very confronting because at that time I was living in Costa Rica when we recorded, and I just taught a retreat and I had some fun stuff planned. And at that time, my life was very nomadic and i had these adventures on the horizon and my work was largely focused around doing live events and retreats and teaching workshops and then that all came to a screeching halt and i found myself with my partner living with my parents unexpectedly for an extended time frame with a tremendous amount of uncertainty on the horizon so that was a thing yeah, we had wow. we had left Costa Rica and stopped by my 
my parents' place to just say hello for a week or two. And we were going to move to Colorado. That was in the plan. So when you said that, my eyebrows perked <laughs> up a bit. But yeah, I mean, <clears throat> huge lessons. And maybe that's a good segue for your skill set and what you do. So for those listening that are like, David Gandelman, never heard of him. What's your book about? Who are you? What do you do? How do you describe yourself? <laughs> I always find that difficult because uh, I do feel like a little bit of a polymath where I I like to be in a lot of places and create a lot of projects at once. I think it's my strength and my weakness. But to give you kind of a brief overview, uh, I teach meditation. I have a school for intuitive development. I do have a book out. It's called The Seven Energies of the Soul, which came out during covid uh, which I did not use ChatGPT to write for me, <laughs> but maybe the next one. Uh, just kidding. Uh, I have a meditation app called Meditation School. Uh, this year, I'm teaching a meditation teacher training certification, which is going to be really exciting starting soon. Um, and I teach uh, on Insight Timer, which is uh, the world's most used meditation app. It's actually used more than every other meditation and wellness app in the world combined, which is crazy to think about. Um, and I do retreats, you know, like you. I taught a retreat. I took a group to Nepal and Bhutan right before COVID. That was my last retreat out before COVID. Uh, and then uh, I'm doing another Nepal and Bhutan this April and then Spain in the summer. So a little bit of, of retreat stuff going on and a little oddly screenwriting for some TV stuff. Uh, so all the all the things yeah i'm gonna be in spain in the summer also Ooh. in july i'll be maybe there in august oh dang i'd say maybe our paths will cross but i was on your website a couple minutes ago checking out your trips and the nepal and bhutan thing sounds amazing and i thought to myself oh this guy is also leading hiking retreats and walking retreats and sort of mixing personal development with outdoor adventure. And I hadn't seen that before. So I feel like we're kindred spirits there. Oh, that's awesome. Have you done Nepal and Bhutan? No, but it's been on my hit list for about a decade. And well, I definitely scrolled and read all the information about it. <laughs> I highly recommend. I, well, they're two different trips uh, this time around. So we're doing a 10, 11 day Nepal and then like a six day Bhutan trip. Because Bhutan is so expensive that not everyone can can do both. Uh, and then we have a foundation in Nepal called the Himalayan Children's Future Fund. So we work with orphanages there to help kids out. So we'll we'll go hiking on the Annapurna Circuit. We'll go see the kids. You know, obviously, we're going to be doing a lot of meditating, personal growth work. So it's kind of a mixed trip in that sense. Um, and I, yeah, I'm so excited to go back. The Himalayas are my favorite place on earth. I've been, I haven't been everywhere, but I've been to a fair amount of places and it is. I lived in India for a while, and uh, yeah, those mountains are extremely special. I, I mean, as other as are the mountains in Colorado, but you know the the peaks in Colorado are like fourteen thousand feet, and you know you have Everest in Nepal, which is twenty eight thousand, and you've got a lot of peaks up there that are pretty incredible. Not that I'm hiking to them, but <laughs> I look at them from my guest house and go, "Wow." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I just want to have that experience before I go. You know. Before I pass, before I die, I'm like you I know, see big mountains. It's not that hard. I mean, yeah, the flight's kind of long, but it's extremely affordable if you go 
uh, on your own or, or lead a group, obviously, then you don't have to worry about that. It's, it's a special experience and it's, uh, Nepal is like India light. So the culture is the same, but I think I could be wrong, but I think Nepal only has like 25 or so million people. Whereas, uh, India is like well over a billion. I think it's actually the most populated country in the world now. Maybe it's closer to two. I'm not even sure. Um, but if so, it's, uh, if you're, if India feels a little intense, then Nepal is a good way to go. There. Okay. So you're a polymath, you do a lot, you're meditation focused, but then you just dropped two words that I'm curious to learn more about and full transparency. I have no expectations or direction where I'm leading this conversation. I prefer to just be present and fly by the seat of our pants together. But you said intuitive development, or you have a school where you help people develop intuition. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued by that. And I don't think I've ever talked about it on the podcast before. Would you be willing to dive into that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. So and just to give it a little background, I, when I, I used to live in India, in my 20s, and some lady asked me if I wanted an intuitive reading. And I was like, I don't know what the hell that means. And you know, you know, when you're in your mid early, early 20s, and you're pompous, and you think you know everything. So I had my degree in Western philosophy, I, uh, I was studying all the Eastern traditions living in the ashrams, head shaved, you know, Vedanta and Zen and Hinduism and Buddhism, and thought I knew everything, you know, mostly in my head. <laughs> and uh, I think that really is a phase that a lot I don't know, I've never I haven't been a woman, but I know a lot of young men go through that know it all phase in their early 20s. So I had some of that. And, uh, and so she gave me a reading. So she just closed her eyes when we were sitting on pillows in a restaurant on the Ganges River in a place called Rishikesh, which is like the yoga Disneyland of India. Great place to visit as a kind of first stop uh, if you're going to go on a pilgrimage to India. And um, it, it's, it's kind of, so it's the Ganges River and it's just lined with hundreds of ashrams and yoga classes and restaurants and Westerners and, and a lot of Hindu pilgrims, Indians. So it's just a really fantastic place. Monkeys trying to steal your stuff out of your bag and cows and swinging bridges over the Ganges and ceremonies. It is one of my favorite places in the world. And it's at the base of the Himalayas. So you're like, you're already in the Himalayas, but not, not too high up. Uh, all right. So a little background. So she closed her eyes. She started giving me a reading and she was just looking into my soul, she was saying things that I I was feeling so acutely about myself that I hadn't told anyone. And to the point where at one moment, uh, I was like, Oh, my God, my chest is so itchy, but I don't want to scratch it because I don't want to move. I don't know if that messes her up, which it doesn't. <laughs> but I didn't know. And at one point, at one point, she was like, Wow, it's like there's this itchiness on your heart. And I was like, Yes, <laughs> I started scratching. <laughs> uh, and, and, and so it really opened up my energy and kind of broke me out of this mental thing I had going on where I was attached to all my concepts and what I thought was true because it really, you know, blew my paradigm of what was real out of the water in some sense. And, um, and so I was like, where did you learn how to do that? And she said, Hawaii at this school for intuitive development. So I bought a plane ticket to Hawaii. I moved there. I hitchhiked out of the airport. I had no place to live. I slept on someone's floor for a month. I slept in a tent for three months uh, working on a farm. And I went to the school, you know, paid my way. But luckily, the tuition was really, really small. 
um, for whatever reason at that time. And uh, I spent seven years there at that school and three years as the director uh, and teaching a lot of the programs. And then when I left Hawaii, I started my own school. So I have an academy. It's called the Energy Matters Academy. We've had hundreds and hundreds of students go through it. It's a year-long training to learn how to develop your intuitive abilities, let's say spiritual abilities, healing abilities, abilities to do readings, which is very woo-woo, might have lost some of you. Uh, and it's uh, it's a special it's a special set of tools, I think, that you can incorporate into anything you do. I've worked, I've worked with CEOs and Hollywood people and uh, stay-at-home moms and engineers and writers and programmers, you know, every walk of life. And they use their, these tools to deepen into whatever they're doing so you don't have to go be a, like a professional reader or anything like that. Uh, and I was a professional reader probably did thousands of readings over about 10, 12 years. I don't really take clients to do that anymore. Um, very short version of that story is when I started getting more popular online, the pressure just got a lot and people would come and be like, I was, I've been waiting two years for this session and, and solve all my problems in one hour. And I was like, Oh, I do not like this feeling at all. <laughs> like there's this movie with Matt Damon where he's a psychic. It's uh directed by Clint Eastwood, The Hereafter, I think it's called, and like, you watch him go through that. And uh, yeah, so I, I stopped doing that. Uh, now I just teach it. And it's really cool. It's fun. You learn about everything from chakras to energy to energetic boundaries to grounding to seeing energy. And I incorporate that into my other meditation work. I really teach my students how to close their eyes. So close your physical eyes and then open your inner eye. We can call it your mind's eye or your third eye or your sixth chakra. It doesn't matter what you call it. But if I asked you to close your physical eyes and then just see a room in your head and then sit down in the center of that room, maybe redecorate it, now we're using our inner eye, right? So we use our inner eye to see images, and those images are made of energy. And we can see images and energy in ourselves. But I don't know why the universe works this way and I can't explain it, but we could also, the way I could physically see you with my physical eyes and acknowledge you, uh, I can, I can see you with my inner eye and, and see your energy, maybe your spirit, see your emotions, um, what you're going through, what you've gone through, that kind of stuff. Now that doesn't make me all knowing people always mix those two up. Oh, if you have some psychic ability, that means you should know the lottery numbers. You should know how everything works out. And that would be like saying, oh, I have two physical eyes. So I could describe to you, you know, what's written on the side of the International Space Station or what's, you know, a thousand miles away over the horizon. Sometimes all we could see is like headlights in front of a car, like 20 feet in front of us. Um, so by no means does being psychic mean you know everything or see everything. Uh, that's not really how it works. We can get into the mechanics of all that if you want to. And I hope that wasn't too long of a description. Oh, you're great, man. Talk as much as you want. I often will joke with Kendra, my partner, when I finish a podcast, she'll ask, you know, how did that go? And I'll occasionally say things like, oh, it was awesome. I hardly talked. Like the guests <laughs> just rambled and it was, it was great. <laughs> um, so yeah, what did you just say that? The something about psychics, the the mechanics of being psychic. Yeah, yeah the, there are mechanics to it for sure. That sounds almost like a paradox of sorts. So you have mechanics, I, I think of like engineering and logic and rational building and then 
when I think of the word psychic, I think of straight into the woo and the ether and the feelings and the emotions and the feminine and the, yeah. Yeah. Um, let me see how I, if there's a good analogy. So for example, uh, with Newtonian physics, it's, it's very predictable, right? You shoot a rocket into space, you know, trajectory, it's speed, the gravitational pull and the rocket, everything. And you could send it to the moon or Mars or beyond and land it within a few inches of your, your target, your target. Right. Uh, and then we get into something like quantum mechanics where um, there's superpositioning and there is probability, but not certainty. We're still using logic and rationality, but it's like we can only see so far. Uh, and we don't know if that's uh, just a function of the system of how of of how it is. Like you literally can't see past superpositioning or if there are pieces we're still missing that we don't understand. Um, so that using that analogy, I would say, there is a rationality and a logic and a structure and mechanics to doing this kind of work, but there's also like a black box of, I have no idea uh, past a certain point of how it works or why it works, but I know it works because I've done it thousands of times and you can see the effects. So just like we don't necessarily know how quantum mechanics fully works, but we can see obviously the effects of it and we know the world is built on it. Um, and we use it for everything from lasers to satellites and beyond, but we don't really not understand everything about it. So not that quantum mechanics explains psychic phenomenon. I know there are teachers out there that they equate the two. I do not do that at all. I just try to find good analogies. So there is a sense of mystery in there that maybe is unsolvable. I, I don't know. I have no idea. I, I consider myself a lot more like a like a piano teacher, like uh, I take piano lessons. So maybe that's why I use that analogy, but I will teach you like the notes, how to play a C and a G and all of that kind of stuff, how to play some songs. But I can't necessarily describe to you the physics of sound and why sound exists and works. But if you want to learn to play piano, we could play together. So I'm, I'm very conscious. I'm not a Joe Dispenza. I'm very conscious of I'm not going to explain to you the nature of reality and pretend I understand it. That doesn't mean we can't play in it and I can't teach you how to navigate it. Mm. I love that, man. That was a good, was a good analogy. What came up for me was the idea of attraction. So in a relationship dynamic, so you could explain theoretically that you need to be physically attracted to a person and you have to be in their presence and you have to talk to them and have shared values and aligned intentions but then there's also this spark right that just sometimes is there and occasionally yeah. is not and that to me is analogous to that black box that you referenced of don't exactly know how it works but i've felt it i know that it works it's out there lots of people recognize it and it's somewhat of a mystery always yeah maybe there are things that are unknowable i i don't know I truly don't know, but maybe the the nature of certain parts of reality are are unknowable, or or at least beyond uh, the capacity of the human mind to understand. Uh, mm. Or we'll figure them out. It could be any of those. I have no idea. But my sense is there, just from my like existential experience, meditating, and all the things. Uh, the universe and beyond our universe is so much more quirky and strange and just unfathomable 
than we could ever imagine. And obviously to stay sane, we kind of delete a lot of information and, and live in our realities as it does every creature so that we can function. But if you were to open up to all of the mysteries of the universe and how it really worked, your brain would just probably explode because the, I think the closer we get to truth, the more of a paradox it becomes. Um, and that's usually why when someone gets really spiritual or they have some kind of spiritual awakening, they start to try to describe it. It sound, begins to sound very nebulous, very vague, very woo-woo. The best we could do is use analogies, right? Like if you looked at the teachings of Jesus, it's just all analogies. It's always like the kingdom of heaven is like. Everything is like something else because it can't quite be described. In Zen, they use koans. You know, they ask you to meditate on something that is just illogical, incomprehensible, like uh, what the faces of your parents look like before they were born, or one hand clap, the sound of one hand clapping to get past your mind. So I think um, when we get closer to truth, um, we, we kind of have to let go of our known understanding and go, okay, this might be just some infinite paradox of beyondness that I can maybe touch and experience, but I might not ever be able to explain it. And then when you work with people, how do you help them to navigate the acceptance or existence of what you just described there? Because oftentimes I'll be chatting with somebody and I can feel and tell and hear them saying things like, I should leave my husband or I should book a flight to Hawaii and go to this intuition boot camp that you did. <laughs> But then the mind kicks on and it's almost like they don't like the black box that the universe has gifted them and repeatedly is kind of bonking them on the head with. How do you help people navigate that process? Well, first, I think there's a difference between kind of impulse, you know, impulsive decision making that are just based on our emotions and true intuition that's connected to a deep part of our soul. Uh, and navigating and parsing the difference between the two is usually many years of inner work and meditation and experience. Uh, so just because somebody says, oh, this is my truth to go quit my job and go do this, that might just be resistance or avoidance, or they're listening to some energy healer that told them what to do. You know, it could be any number of things, programming from society uh, or the resistance to programming from society. So really, there's a lot more work involved in finding those answers, a lot of inner work of, you know, uh, kind of uncoupling from the programming of our families and society and um, from all the energies that might really influence us. And, and then the other part is, again, the mechanics of learning how to see. So when we close our eyes to actually see our answers and be able to differentiate them from things that are not true. Uh, and again, that's... Uh, something that you can develop, like almost like sharpening a knife. So there's this ability to see energy. And then there's a second ability to know the difference between something true and false, something that's right for us or something that's not. Just in this way that I can see you, I know you're Jeremy, fine, I can't know with 100% certainty, but to navigate life, I'm pretty certain you're sitting in front of me, across from me on Zoom, right? Uh, so in that way, we can become discerning our our inner eye is very very much an atrophy most of the time it's like an unused muscle since childhood and so we try to see images and they're just vague blobs of color 
That's usually how most people start. So it takes a lot of inner work and practice to sharpen that eye to see as clearly as your physical eyes see. Um, now, the inner dimensional world, let's call it, objects don't have solidified forms, so they could change. So another analogy would be like in your dream state, you might see me in your dream like David, but I'm a dog or I'm a female or I have a different uh, form, but there's some knowingness in you in the dream. We've all had this where you know it's me. Have you had that experience in dreams? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so just like that, that de that ability of knowingness beyond form is something we de we can develop, and so when I see images in my mind's eye, I can know the energy behind them and what they mean, uh, and and that's how I start to find my answers. And if you're a healer, you can help other people find their answers that way too. So when somebody says, you know, it's my truth to go move to Hawaii or to quit my job, I'm always suspect at first. Uh, are they really in touch with that intuitive ability or abilities to feel, see, and know? Or are they just going on some impulsive emotion? And those are very hard to discern. Uh, it takes a lot of practice and, and work to do that. I've seen a lot of people really mess up their lives thinking uh, it was their truth and not being able to tell the difference. Mm. Yeah, same. I look back at some of the choices I've made and and kind of shake my head now. Like, uh... Yeah, that wasn't what you thought it was, bro. It, yeah, it's it's my inner truth and feeling that I should sleep with everyone because it feels so good. All right, that's different. That's a feeling, and that's different than really deepening into something that's true for you. Yeah, I find too that it's often the inner truth in that circumstance is easier, more fun, enjoyable, no responsibility, no yeah. consequences. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, it's fine. Versus the inner truth saying, uh, act in integrity, keep your word, do the hard thing. Exactly. And that might be an important distinction as well. But if you were looking back, say I had a, a time machine in my pocket and you could go chat with David that was sitting on the shore of the Ganges that was about to move to Hawaii and, and whatnot. Do you think that that was an act of impulsiveness or of intuition or some combo of both? Uh, that I would say, all right. So when we're young in our process, there's sometimes we get lucky and we get hit by some grace, you know, maybe it's karma, maybe it's destiny, guardian angels, higher self, life guiding us, whatever you want to call it. And we get guided the way children get guided before they have enough awareness to make their own decisions right? Like you're even being in the womb, being taken care of. So I think life does help us along the way sometimes until we're conscious enough and grown up enough to take the reins. And so I would, looking back, I would say probably some of that for sure. Some, some karmic, you know, thing happening of destiny for me. Um, you know, it makes life always makes more sense when you look in the rearview mirror. It doesn't really make sense going forward. So looking yeah, back, it makes so much sense in the context of my life. <laughs> completely right. And even you said you arrived there, you had to hitchhike from the airport, you slept on the floor, had no and money, then no money, ended up staying there for, I think, seven years and running the place. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. I imagine on day one, you would have never predicted that if somebody took Absolutely you aside. Not. David, don't worry, man. In seven years, you'll be running. All of this could be yours, like Mufasa style. 
<laughs> that is a great analogy. <laughs> oh my god, one of my favorite movies from childhood. I love that. Like all of this, man. Like that that would have I imagine felt like an impossible dream. Absolutely, right? absolutely impossible. Um, and just to add a cherry on top of that story, I came to Boulder one other time before I moved here uh some years ago. And I have I was just leaving Hawaii and um there was like some like reading fair. They were doing readings at some psychic center in Boulder. So I just like walked up the stairs. I had no idea. And they're like, hey, you want a session? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I didn't tell them what I did or where I was coming from or anything that I ran a school just like this one. And they sat me down in front of two beginner students. One was like three months in, one was like six months in. And uh, they give me a reading and the one goes, wow, I see you as like a teacher and reaching like many, many thousands of people, like really, really reaching a wide audience as a spiritual teacher. And I was just sitting there like, wow, that's really validating. <laughs> uh, it was it was such a sweet uh, kind of validation of my experience, what I was beginning to go through and and the the path that I was already on. It was it was pretty cool. But if you took me, yeah, it's seven that you know, going back to the first day of those seven years, never never would I have believed that that would have happened that way. I do want to give myself a little bit of credit in the sense that i I worked extremely hard all the time. Like I spent thousands of hours in a shitty green plastic chair in this little school. Uh, in Kealakekua, Hawaii, just doing endless amounts of readings to the point where they would kick me out of the school, tell me to go get friends and a life. And so I was I was relentless. I was not born with any natural ability. <laughs> I was not. I, I did not have psychic experiences growing up as a kid that I was aware of. None of that. I just, I would say I was pretty average. And then all I did was work pretty hard. I don't know if you ever saw that movie Rudy where the guy wants to be a football player and he's just too small, but he tries really hard. So one time they let him on the field and everyone cries. I would, I'm much more like that. <laughs> Rudy yeah. of meditation. Yeah, I would not I would not attribute myself with any exceptional abilities of any kind, intellectual, spiritual, or otherwise. I maybe just uh, was dumb enough to try really hard for a very long time and and take an excessive amount of risk, like financial risk, and and otherwise, like didn't had no idea where my life was leading. You know, I could have went into finance or politics or whatever else, and I just took this, looking back, pretty huge risk. Uh, and I got very lucky in the sense that. Uh, YouTube and podcasting, everything came online, you know, meditation apps as I was hitting my stride as a teacher. So like my, where I was in my development matched the technology coming online. And I very luckily with a lot of hard work started to reach an audience. Um, and so again, I don't know if that's karma, destiny, luck, or or a mix, but I've, I'm looking back again, extremely fortunate. Um that 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 all worked out. And now I love helping other meditation teachers kind of on their paths, navigating that difficult, you know, experience of trying to build something. And then when you were spending thousands of hours in that green chair, was there any kind of conscious end goal in mind? Or was it simply, this is fascinating, I need to learn everything? Absolutely no end goal. I had no clue I would ever teach nothing. I didn't think I would ever do it professionally. 
Uh, I literally was just doing it because it felt so good and I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, I, I feel similarly about some of the things I've done in my past of devouring content, trying shit, putting stuff online. It just felt like I couldn't not do it. Like I, I just had to do it. And one way that I love about describing this process is that Seth Godin. Are you familiar with his work? Oh, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. He's a genius, this guy. Yeah. And he talks about this old adage of if you knew that it was going to work out, what would you do? And then his take, which I love, is paradoxical. And he says, no, I hate that idea. If you knew that it was going to fail yeah. and you were going to do it anyway, what would you do? Yeah. And it sounds like for you, it was, yeah, I'd sit my ass in that chair and devour spiritual content until the point that these woo-woo folks are kicking me out and telling me to get a life I'm like exactly and 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 kudos to seth godin that guy is uh like a marketing and also life sage just a fantastic human being i don't know him i we have some mutual friends and i've heard he's a great guy um mm. yeah the, i i think he puts it correctly if you're gonna fail would you do it anyway and how would you do it i think that's a that's a pretty good good way to look at life yeah. Okay. So let's transition to meditation if, if you'd like, or is there more to say about the, what was it? The engineering of intuition? Or the, the mechanics. Mechanic? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I'm, I'm sure you could talk for hours on that, but is there any point that we haven't hit that you're like, Jeremy, your audience needs to know this thing. Like this well, is really vital. I mean, it really ties into the meditation that I teach. So, um, I really help people learn how to close their eyes and start to find their own answers. And to do that, you have to know how to navigate the inner world. It's very different to the outer world. So the outer world is made up of solid forms, relatively solid forms. So if you want to change a solid form, you often need to apply like really high levels of energy or heat to it, right? You want to change ice to water to, to uh, mist or whatever, right? You have to apply energy and heat, for example, so in the inner world, you can change forms too. It's it's different. You have thought forms, you have emotional forms, you have like energy forms. You might have like a knot of energy. You might have pain in your shoulder in a knot, right? You might have a very, you might have like a, a weight on your heart that feels like pretty heavy or on your back or your, you know, sometimes we say that person's a pain in my ass. You got energy down there by your, let's call it your first chakra or someone's a pain in my neck. Maybe there's some communication that's stuck with somebody, right? So we we have these energetic forms that we're working with. And usually when we're looking for our answers, what we come up against is past pain, limitation, and energy knots that we don't quite understand how to unravel. And they turn into, you know, attachments. They turn into mental blocks, fear, anxiety, resistance, confusion, doubt, I can go on and on and on. <laughs> and so that's what all human beings hit in life. We hit these energies and we don't quite know how to navigate them. So I think part of my job as a teacher is to help students close their eyes and learn how to navigate all of these energies and help them recognize that their answers are actually, their answers flower by getting through the energies. So their answers are born out of the energies that they work through. And the paradoxical thing uh, about psychic work is 
it's a lot of people go to psychics because they want to know their future, but they don't want to do the work to create their future. They're just like, no, just give me, just, I don't know if that's paradoxical, but it's just like, give me my answers. And they're on step two and they want you to give them step 10. And my job really is to teach them how to go from step one to 10 organically. So for example, if you're working on creating a relationship, you want to find out what step am I really on? Well, I'm sitting in grief and attachment and pain from a past relationship. So really my sense is I'm on step two or three and I've got to do all this healing work and then know who I am and then know what I want and then be in that positive energy. And then I could attract somebody. So there might be five, six, seven, eight steps in there rather than going to a psychic who's going to tell you you're going to meet Billy Joe in four years and he's going to have a yellow jacket on or something. No, a good energy reader or healer will say, hey, you've got this pain and this attachment to the past. Let's work on that. I can see that. Let me validate that you're stuck there. And we could do that ourselves in meditation. We don't need a healer. We can close our eyes and go, All right, what's keeping me from getting this answer, taking this step? Let that arise in meditation and start to work on that. So I would say my mm, kind of competence, maybe what I help my students with a lot is that. You know, we close our eyes, we, we hit these energies, maybe someone suffers from extreme anxiety or fear, depression. How do we get through that and then find out who we really are and come out the other side and, and live a life that's full and purposeful? Uh, I would say that's where I like to hang out mostly. Mm. Yeah, I've heard it described succinctly as, you know, everybody wants to have the Grammy award or the platinum album, but nobody wants to sit in their bedroom for hours and learn to play the guitar. Right. It's like, absolutely. And it's funny you bring that up because I had somebody come to me once for a reading session uh, when I was living in Los Angeles, which is, is such an LA story. And uh, it was really hard to give this person a reading. It was like, there was so much stuckness. And as, at one point I just opened my eyes and I said, why are you here? What What is it that you want? Just tell me, but don't waste my time. Why are you making me sweat this out with my third eye? <laughs> And he said, I want to be famous. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck. So <laughs> like, okay, why do you want to be famous? Oh, because I want to help people. I was like, you want to be famous because you want to help people. Really? Why do you really want to be famous? And then this person said, oh, I really want to be famous because I want to be loved. And I said, all right, it has nothing to do with other people. It has to do with you not having enough love. And I said, listen, if I take you to the top of Mount Everest right now and drop you off, you will die of altitude sickness very quickly. And you see this every day with celebrities. They crash and burn addiction, you know, five marriages, narcissism, everything under the sun, right? You see like Kanye West, for example, just, just, watch, just watching crash and burn in front of the whole world. And so... I told him, if you walk up Everest, even if it's massive mountain, if you can do that, when you get to the top, you'll be able to handle the altitude and maybe the fame or the pressure or whatever comes with it, the, making sure you still have a sense of self-worth that's not based on everybody else's judgment. Uh, so you got to do the work yourself, <laughs> which is like, you know, of course, that's the answer. <laughs> it's so easy. Don't need to do a reading for that. And he looked at me and he was like, well, I went to another healer who just kind of did it for me. So no, I just want to be famous. Can you kind of just do it for me? 
And I was like, yeah, if you add 10 zeros to what I'm charging you, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do it for any amount of money, nor can I. I'm not a magician. <laughs> right? Why would I be sitting here reading you if I could just snap my fingers and make it rain like that? So uh, that that was one of those readings where I was just like, I'm, I might be almost done doing this, this side of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you you mentioned previously of uh, helping people, like I, I describe it as as get still, get still and feel God, or get still and talk to God, in some regard. And it sounds like that's what you were prescribing. Also, of find some tol- solitude, close your eyes, go within. Is that an oversimplification? Always, I that's always the prescription. Um, but sometimes that is, I would say that's the foundation is to go into stillness. But then if, for example, you sit in stillness for a while and then let's say confusion arises or guilt or some deep level of pain, then the question is, all right, how do I deal with this? So the kind of Buddhist prescription would always to be just sit with it and be still, you know, like in Vipassana, just just watch it move around and be still. And I think that solution is only partial. Um, I've had, I've had a lot of friends who are expert meditators, sat 30 Vipassana retreats, could sit three hours at a time in Lotus and stillness, and they're still kind of douchey or selfish or egotistical, or, or they're really peaceful until they get triggered in a relationship and then they become a total, you know, menace. Uh, so I think it is a bit more complicated, uh, modern day humans of dealing with all of those energies. Uh, so I take maybe more of like a dynamic, practical approach. I think you want to have, for me, like a fundamental, uh, almost like Eckhart Tolle approach of being present, you know, se- learning to separate your awareness from your thoughts, being fully in your body. That needs to be like the foundation. That's the foundation of mindfulness, of Vipassana, of every spiritual tra- tradition of all time, of sitting in stillness and being connected. And and then there's there are more complicated parts of dealing with each of these energies, uh, and learning how to navigate them and integrate them, and not just kind of uh, wait till they go away, wait till the cloud passes while you're in stillness. There might be things to learn from each of those thoughts and feelings that you actually want to integrate into your being, and then manifest out into the world what what comes out of that. So um, that that's maybe where I also spend more time with my students. I love that. I um what if I told you I did my first Vipassana retreat a couple months ago. Oh, and, congrats. Uh, it's really hard, man. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard. It hurts. It physically hurts. My knees were on fire. Yeah, and I felt like I had been stabbed in the back at one point. And the I just hear the the dude uh, equanimity. Yeah. Equanimity. Um <laughs> but the way I the, the like the main takeaway I I felt was, and I did a whole podcast about this, if anybody's listening and wants to hear me rant about my experience, but I felt like I had excavated this part of my nervous system that was previously not there. And that I had this new layer of regulation or calmness or presence, however you want to describe it. And that I didn't always live there, but now my body, soul, etc., knows what that sensation is like experientially and that I can go back to that place if and when when required and I found 
since I've left that a couple of months ago, that that process of returning is actually an entirely different skill set than simply sitting quietly with your legs crossed for for an hour or two. And I feel like that's uh, yeah. kind of what you're describing there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I highly recommend for most people to, unless, you know, maybe you've got like some real acute depression or sitting still is just too much. For, for most people, I do highly recommend going to sit and do a Vipassana or two, learn the fundamentals of meditation and how to sit for long periods of time. I think it is mm. um, incredibly life-changing and transformative. So I did three in one year once and I was like, well, this is some powerful stuff, but then integrating into the, into the world was actually became harder. Uh, I was like, well, I don't want to be part of the world so much. So there was, I had to learn how to deal with, with that piece too. Because it's so different than normal reality in our civilization. It is such an outlier. Yeah. Extreme. Yeah. Go ahead. You could sit in bliss all day long if you're on a retreat and someone's feeding you. You don't have to deal with oh. human relationships. There's no talking allowed. It's fucking easy. <laughs> yeah. It was easy and hard, right? I remember yeah. on the second day, maybe it was the first day or the second day, you go and they have question time with the, the teacher or whoever. And I remember him very paternally and compassionately asking me, like, how are you doing? And and I'm, I had bright eyes and I was like, I actually, I'm doing good. I, I really like it. I think I could stay longer than 10 days. And he, his, his like eyebrow twitched very quickly, but then he caught himself and dropped back into equanimity and presence. And I, and in that moment I had this like full body, oh shit, like nobody says that. And that's completely not possible. And I'm going to have a hell of a time over the next week. It was like the reality check for me. Just that one little eyebrow twinge. Uh, <laughs> and it was, man. By day three, I wanted to burn the building down and everything came up. But such yep. a that unique experience and hugely transformative for sure. You're like, this guy's voice is torture. I hate Buddhists. I never want to be here again. There's not, I'm not getting anything out of this. This is so antiquated. And then on day six or seven, you're like... Bliss, God, oneness, I'm enlightened. I'm completely done. This is it. I'm a new person. All is well for the end of time. And then yeah. day three out, out of a pause, and you're like, oh, my fucking problems are back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I left the pause yeah. had an Airbnb. The next day flew internationally. The day after that taught a workshop to like 50 sales executives with my buddy. It was a, I did not plan it. Right, I think I would have used some integration time. Yeah, that's tough. You're up there. You're like nothing. You guys do matter. <laughs> I think I I straight up said during my intro something like, "Look, I'm really chill right now. Uh, so if you have anything that you need to talk about, like now's the time because I'm I'm pretty fucking mellow and will be for the rest of the day." So I love it. That's hilarious. Yeah. And, and the one of the first questions I got was, uh, did you do a lot of drugs and have sex at that retreat? And I, I just kind of shook my head like, well, that's very interesting that that's where you went with that. But no, didn't do any of that. Uh, it's the opposite. It's the, it's the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. What we got like another 15 minutes or so or 10 minutes. Should we dive into your meditation school? What do you feel like talking about? Uh, I would say the most excited thing 
that's going on for me at the moment is the meditation teacher training that I'm going to start. Um, I don't know if people are listening to this before or after the date, though, but it starts on February 8th. And, oh, it'll um, be before then. Yeah, let's get this out there and spread the word. Yeah. So, you know, I I went on a very kind of individualized teacher train uh, journey to become a teacher. Uh, I did a three and a half year teacher training for intuitive teachers, which was a very kind of unique niche training that was exceptionally long, uh, just for the teacher training. Uh, but what I found was because I've worked with a lot of teachers on Insight Timer. There's over fourteen thousand of them now. And I've coached a fair amount of teachers. Uh, my friend Lou, who's a teacher on there, he describes me as your favorite, your favorite meditation teacher's coach. <laughs> Which I was like, all right, that's how you see me. I'll take it. Uh, and a lot of teachers, they don't really know how to navigate the modern world of teaching. And a lot of teacher trainings only focus on mindfulness and or kind of Buddhist principles or practices, or maybe there's like a TM meditation teacher training. They all almost tend to lean in that kind of direction, or there's like a very guru-based teacher training. It's like, right, this is the guru, you you train in, in his lineage or her lineage, and now that's what you teach. And none of those land well with me because that's not how I teach, that's not who I am or, or what I do. And I just could not find a teacher training out there that was broader um, for for most people. So probably one of the best teacher trainings out there is Jack Cornfield and Tara Brock's mindfulness teacher training. It's about two years long, uh, but it's very much MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction and Buddhist principles, which is great, but it's not everything. And they don't teach teachers how to do the business side, you know, how to create their content, podcasting, books, you know, audio, whatever it is that they want to do, courses. Um, and so I just saw this space and then I, I just kept training and teaching and coaching people for free all the time because I just wanted to see them take great steps in this in that in that way. And and so I decided to start my own meditation teacher training. And the way I broke it down was into three levels. So level one is mastering meditation. Level two is learning how to teach, the art of teaching. And level three is the business side, let's say, of teaching. What channels to choose from Insight Timer to podcasting to YouTube, you know, book writing, blog writing, and beyond. Uh, really finding what works for you and then how to master those channels. And find students, you know, teach retreats, one-on-one -on -one clients, courses, coaching, all, all of it. And so that's how I structured this training. And then I brought in maybe 12 or 14 other teachers all have their kind of expertises, hypnotherapy, mindfulness, trauma-based work, um, as, as many different angles as that, that I could find. Uh, and they're all going to do pieces as well. And I'll be the main teacher. And there's mentorship groups, there's one-on-ones for the, for the students, which most teacher trainings don't have any one-on-one -on -one time with the teachers. Um, and really? it's nine months long. Right. Yeah. Uh, you have to pay extra or like Jack and Tara's, it'd be like an extra fee kind of separate from their $9,000. Yeah. They're so, they're so big and there's probably hundreds or thousands of students going through, but it seems, yeah. it seems vital that you would have engagement one-on-one -on -one with a teacher of some kind when you're learning to teach. Yeah, exactly. So we definitely added that component as well. And I brought in some other, you know, uh, business folks. Uh, one of our guys, Matt, he spent years at Sounds True Publishing, helping, you know, every teacher you can think of with their work. 
uh, our guy Kyle, he runs, he's run ads for everyone, you know, from Eckhart Tolle to Wim Hof to Brene Brown to um, pretty much any, honestly, anyone you could think of in that space, Ajishanti. And mm -hmm. so he's going to be helping us with that side of things. Um, I brought in one of my old business coaches, who I think is fantastic, Jamie Moran. Um, so uh, I, I tried to bring in as many people to fill in all the gaps that I can't fill. And I want to make it a very fun experience where it's just not like this slog of, oh, I'm going to learn the 19 Buddhist principles and memorize everything. So the, you know, the teachers are going to have to teach to each other. They're going to have to record content to submit a some writing as well. And they're going to have to show up uh, mm -hmm. to get their certification. So uh, I mean, I'm excited about this. We have a whole nice group signed up already. And um, it's just a kind of new new level, new challenge. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. And then just to clarify, have you led this before? Is this the first time or the big launch or this is an uh, ongoing? Th this is the first uh, teacher training that I've done here. I've helped a bit in another school where I did teacher trainings but this is my first where I'm running it myself. It's exciting, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I got to pl plug our, our mutual pal, Hillary Jackendoff, who was on the podcast and is hilarious as she is powerful. I would say <laughs> she's, I saw her name on your list of experts and smiled at that. Yeah. She's going to be teaching in the teacher training and Hillary has run a lot of teacher trainings, but she actually brought me in a few times to teach in, in hers. Uh, so I'm excited to have her. She's so her expert. One of her expertises is yoga nidra. Mm. Yeah, she's great. Lovely human being. <laughs> yeah. I've sent both of your pod or your, because uh, I'm on Insight Timer too, and have been for a long time. And I, I was just leading a retreat in uh, the Dominican Republic and had a little mindfulness session at the start. And I was like, Insight Timer's the one. I was like, David G, David G's my guy. Like when I first <laughs> got started, for whatever reason, his voice latched onto my soul and like was the one that resonated the most and yeah and you don't mean me you mean david g big white hair yeah. older Santa Claus. Santa yeah. Claus. yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> i had i didn't know you at that time i don't even know if you were on insight timer back then but this was uh this would have been like 2014 2015 uh maybe i was one of the first couple hundred teachers oh cool yeah. i feel fortunate that i found it when i did um, yeah. so I've been putting stuff on there for a long time. Yeah. And so then platform. for your meditation school, like who's the, the ideal kind of student? Is this for people that have no idea about meditation, but want to learn at all? Or is this for somebody that has dabbled and it's changed their life and they're thinking of teaching or like, who's the, who's yeah. the ideal kind of person you're looking for? I think anybody can get what they need out of it. So uh, I would say it's pretty broad in that sense. You don't have to want to be a meditation teacher to take it. Maybe you're a therapist or a healer, a caregiver. You know, maybe you work with people in the boardroom. It could be a podcast. Or it could be any number of things. And you just want to incorporate that kind of awareness and structure uh, into the work that you do. So you don't have to be wanting to be a teacher. You might already be a meditation teacher and you just want a certification or you want the business skills or to, to practice or go kind of next level with it all uh, or, or really anything in between. So I definitely have people who are already meditation teachers, people who are healers, people just kind of starting much earlier on the path. And maybe this is a, a way for them to explore if this is going to be right for them. 
um, I feel like uh, for a professional training that you can use to maybe make money for the rest of your life. It's like, it's really reasonable and affordable. Uh, we we give out scholarships, you know, when people need them. So um, yeah, if it, if it's something that calls to you and you're not sure if you're ready or not, then, you know, it's something to explore. Yeah. Amazing. And I'll put a link in the show notes for the website and they could check that out. I was looking at the website earlier. It's thorough and, and succinct and great, man. So Thank I was you. impressed at this point. And so well done to you, man. I know it's sort of a long time coming. You've been doing this for decades now and to have your own school launched and to have your friends helping you to do that must feel really good. Yeah, uh, I'm super lucky. I have a, I have a great team of people. Uh, we have a team in Ukraine, actually, that built the Meditation School app uh, right through the war. Uh, we've got uh, team members in the Philippines and in the United States, all over the place. And it takes a village. Uh, I'm just kind of the tip of the spear. I do the talking. <laughs> but really, most of the work is done by people who are very professional and good at what they do, from marketing to copywriting to programming to customer service, graphic design, and beyond. Um, I'm going to fire everybody and just use ChatGPT to run my business, but I don't want to let anyone know that yet. Hopefully they're not listening. <laughs> well, whoever's editing this is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding, sharing it. Uh so it it takes a, it definitely takes a village. It takes investment. Uh, I had to learn a lot of skill sets that I didn't know. You know, most meditation teachers and healers, they just want to do their craft and they hit the technology wall and they get really frustrated and they quit, they stop, they get afraid. And really my job, I feel like, is to be a midwife to help people get through those challenges and show them you can do this you you know if you're building a house you don't have to be the plumber and the electrician and the architect and the engineer you might just have a vision you invest money and time and then you let the pros do the rest of the work so uh, and you do what you're good at let other people do what they're good at that's what a community is that's how it's built uh from small ones to large ones right and why would your meditation ecosystem be any different someone's going to edit your audio your video your emails, right? All of the things, do your marketing. So if you want to be a one-stop shop forever and just bleed out by being tired and overworked and not enough energy to create content, then it's going to be a rough road and it's not going to be fun. And I hit that energy where I was just doing everything, working nonstop all the time. And I was exhausted. And I was like, there's got to be a better, a better way. I started reading a lot of business books and hired some coaches and really realize it's just like any other endeavor in life. You need help and um, there are faster and more efficient ways to do things. And I want to pass as much of that knowledge on as I can and hopefully save people years and many tens of thousands of dollars and point them in a direction that's going to fulfill them and their students. Beautiful, brother. Well, yeah. congratulations and thanks for coming back to to chat about all kinds of wild whimsical topics that I had no idea <laughs> to dive into today. It's always um, a treatment. It was a, it was an absolute pleasure. Jeremy, it was great to see you again, buddy. And thanks everybody for hanging with us. Okay. That was David Gandelman. And as mentioned, he is leading a meditation teacher training through his meditation school. I've included links to that in the show notes. If you want to learn more and check out those details, I've also included a link to his Instagram account. You could follow him and check his stuff out. And finally, I've included a link to his 
Insight Timer page. If you want to get your meditation on, if you want to start, download Insight Timer. It's really good. It's free. I've used it for many, many years now, and there are a lot of really wonderful teachers to explore and dive into. Thank you for being here. As always, I appreciate you. Thanks for sharing the podcast with friends and loved ones. You are the best, and I will talk to you soon.